0: Well, good morning, church. Pastor Zarney's been coming through that door through this whole sermon series, and I couldn't wait to. He's been coming through with a funny line about, Won't you be my neighbor or howdy neighbor? I thought that was good. I wanted to come through like Kramer from Seinfeld. Remember how he used to open the door? But I knew I'd break my neck, so let's not do that. Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining us in this place. Thank you for joining us online. A guy named Charles Shedd wrote a book, true story. He was 19 years old, not married, didn't have any children, but he wrote a book called How to Raise Your Children. People really liked it, so he was touring the country speaking on how to raise your children. Now, after he got married, he changed the title. He must have learned something. He changed it from How to Raise Your Children to Some Suggestions for Parents. Then after his first child, he changed it again to Feeble Hints for Fellow Strugglers. After his third child, he stopped giving the talk altogether. We're continuing the sermon series. We're actually wrapping up this sermon series, Our Imperfect Families. And today we're talking about parenting with a sermon titled, Offering Pardon and Hope. And our text for today is from Luke 15, the parable that Jesus told known as the prodigal son. Most theologians would agree that Jesus told this parable not to give us parenting tips, but to really teach us about God's enormous love for us and his willingness to forgive. But having said that, we can glean a lot of wisdom for parenting from this parable of the prodigal son. Let me read to you a portion of this text. This is Luke 15. This is Jesus telling a story to some Pharisees and some people who were questioning him. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the flood, a severe famine in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. And kill the fattened calf, uh, and have the fattened calf killed. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine that was dead is now alive. He was lost and is found. And now we must celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. Let's come together in prayer. Father, to all creation, you are the giver of all we possess, the source of all our blessings. We thank and praise you. We thank you for the gift of children. May your Holy Spirit help them to grow in faith and hope and love, so they may know peace, truth, and goodness. May their ears hear your voice. May their eyes see your presence in all things. May our children's lips proclaim your word. May their hearts be your dwelling place. May their hands do works of charity. May their feet walk in the way of Jesus, your Son, our Lord. Amen. This pastor's already said last week, he spoke specifically to parents, but this isn't just a, a message for parents, so if you're not a parent, pay an, uh, attention anyway. Maybe fill out the outline that you picked out uh, up on your way in, because uh, maybe you will be a parent one day, or maybe you're a, grand, a grandparent, or maybe you know parents who have rebellious children, or, or even if none of those are, are um, something that are going to happen, this is really good for broken relationships. It doesn't necessarily need to be a rebellious child that runs away, but any broken relationship, you can uh, put most of these points, most of these chunks of wisdom from God's word um, to the test. Uh, Throughout the Bible, we read about godly parents who have kids that have gone astray. We know about Noah and Adam and Samuel and Eli and even David, kids that went the wrong way. So this message will look uh, to Scripture not to capture why our kids go wrong, but what to do because when they go astray, this can be a pretty difficult time. When a child rebels, basically there's three stages, and we know this from the parable that we just read. And we'll start here. We know that our children can go through a stage of rebellion. Children can go through a stage of rebellion. That's where we're starting. That's our story, right? The younger son comes to the father and says, I'm out of here. Your household stinks. This is stupid. Give me the money you're going to give me when you're, when you're going to die, and I'm going to live my own life. So what do we as parents do when a child behaves this well? Well, we let him go. That's what the father in the parable does. There is rejection for parents in this. There is humiliation for parents. We feel guilty. We feel like a failure. The father in the parable must know that his son is behaving foolishly, but he lets him go. And we'll move quickly through the points here in the first section and spend a little more time with points near the end. Um, The second thing we do as parents, I hope this is working, is we let them make their own mistakes. That's what the father in the parable does. The son throws out his parents' value systems, rejects his background. He's wasting his life, but that's what rebellion is. And there are just some things that humans can only learn the hard way. We know this from Proverbs 20, 30. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways, and I think we would know that anyway. So the third thing we can glean from this talking point is Let them reap the consequences of their actions and their choices. Let them reap the consequences of their actions and their choice. Uh, We make mistakes as parents, that's for sure. But we remember that we're not the only influence in our child in this world they live in. We know this from the book of Job in the Old Testament. He says this, as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. I grew up here on Bennett Road at the bottom of the hill. You might be familiar with it, near Aikens Road. Nice plot of land, three and a half acres. Three and a half acres, that was awesome. I loved that yard. My dad and my grandfather would plant a big garden. We had vineyards, we had fruiting trees, we had grapes. It was awesome. And I had real visceral dirt under the fingernails experience with that kind of stuff. You plant a bean, you put a bean seed in the, bro- the ground, guess what comes up? A bean plant. You put peppers in the ground. Pe- I mean, that just made sense. I, I saw it. There was, I, I helped with that stuff. And this generation, I know they get it. I know kids get that if you put a tomato seed in the ground, a tomato plant will come up. But there's just something about doing it, about actually doing it, getting your nails dirty and working it, that agrarian situation where what you plant is what will grow. And that's not only for farmers and gardeners. That's for life. When a choice is made toward righteousness, guess what will grow out of that? Good stuff. When a choice is made toward darkness, suffering, darkness, confusion, pain, Hurt will grow out of that. The second stage our children will go through in this process is they can go through a stage of reevaluation. They reconsider. What have I done? Does this make sense? Is this as good as I thought it was going to be? It doesn't seem like it. What can I do? In the parable of the prodigal son, the rebellious child goes through this. The Bible says, and then he came to his senses. So what do we as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as friends do in this stage well, we ought to do it in this stage. We ought to do it through all the stages. But let's talk about it here. You've got to be in prayer, in prayer for your kids when uh, for your kids when they're super obedient and super um, understanding of your ways, and, and when they're in rebellion. Let's talk seriously about Satan and his plans to destroy your children. That's not an overstatement. That's not hyperbole. That's not me trying to get an emotional rise out of you. The devil's plans are to destroy. Your children. He's not messing around. The Bible says we are at war. Maybe you'd agree with me in seeing the messaging that our children are getting from popular culture, from their friends, maybe from social media. You think the devil's in some of that stuff? I think it's clear and it's obvious. But we're not afraid, we fight with prayer. Pray that your children will enjoy their God given life. Pray that your children will learn and grow. Pray that they'll have God's wisdom. In times of challenge, pray that they'll pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. Pray that they'll learn from their mistakes, that God will be their guide, that God will help them to love who he created them to be, that God's glory will be in their lives. Pray for their future spouses, pray for their teachers and their friends, their future bosses and their safety. I'm guessing most of you are praying for your children if you're a parent, but if you're not, start, do it today, do it this afternoon, spend some time, get quiet, get alone Lift those things up to God in prayer. So we pray. Secondly, we commit our children to God. There we go. Commit them to God. How many of us know that our children are not really our own? (laughs) They're not. God loves them more than you do. He's pursuing them. He has a plan of redemption for them. Commit your children to God. Do you remember the Old Testament story of Hannah? in the book of 1 Samuel. She is a woman who couldn't have children. And you might know in that society in that time, if you were a grown woman who couldn't have children, that was the very worst thing. Everyone thought that if you were a good person and you did good stuff in, in the eyes of God, he would bless you with children, especially sons. But if you had infertility infer- issues, couldn't have children, the people thought, clearly there's something wrong with you. And this was horrible. And Hannah was brokenhearted, and she cried out to God, Lord, grant me a son. And God does a miracle And by the natural method, through her husband and she, she became pregnant and had a son, and she named him Samuel, which we believe means God heard. And what does she do? She takes this little boy Samuel, after he was weaned, she takes him to the temple at Shiloh, and she dedicates him to God, and she gives him to the prophet Eli. It's a cool story. Hannah's faith, God's miraculous provision, but surely that was just for her. I mean, we're not supposed to hand our kids over to God, right? Right? please don't come to Royal Redeemer with your baby and give your baby to me. I know your kids, I don't want them. I'm just kidding. I'm not really kidding. uh, Pastor Zardy doesn't want them, Pastor Tim, Pastor Harry, we we don't want them. But the principle's there, right? These aren't your kids, these are God's kids. The lion kid, that's, uh, I mean, he's holding up the baby. I mean, that always reminds me of me dedicating my child to God. This, this child I have, Lord, what a blessing. What joy there is. But she doesn't belong to me. She's yours. So the third thing that we can do in this time of reevaluation is to wait patiently. Yay, we love that one when the pastor says, be patient. <laughs> we hate that one. I want my kid to come back, and I want them to come back right now. Wait patiently. What does the father in the parable do? What is he doing? I don't know if they had stoops or porches or whatever in the time, but he's out in front of the house. And he's looking, he's waiting patiently for that son to return. I officiated a wedding yesterday, Kathleen and Ryan, and in their vows, I talked about this in the wedding message, in their vows, the promises that they were about to make were promises for future love. I vow to love you in the future. Yeah, I love you today. Look how beautiful you look in that dress. Look how handsome you are. We're young and things are going great. Of course I love you now. But I promise to love you in the future. That's a form of patience. I'm vowing my future love to you. A Christian author named Tim Keller, pastor of a church on the northern tip of uh, Manhattan, says this about patience. Patience is bearing up under difficult circumstances without giving up or giving into bitterness. Patience means working when gratification is delayed. It means taking what life offers, even if it means suffering without lashing out. And this last line is the one that really sticks with me. Patience is love for the long haul. Patience is love for the long haul. That's what the father in the pro- story of the prodigal son is doing. He's loving for the long haul. When we, when we have rebellious children and we're patient, we're, we're loving them for the long haul. Finally, trust the Holy Spirit. This third person of the Trinity, this God, the Holy Spirit, this person, what a mystery I think we got a pretty good grasp of God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, and Jesus, his son, we know about him pretty well. He's the second person of the Trinity. But God the Holy Spirit, mystery. Wow. The Bible talks about him like a dove, or like fire, or like a mighty rushing wind. He's moving. He's moving on your rebellious child. If you've had your children baptized, he's moving on them especially. When we baptize people, we are christening them, we are... Christing them we are putting all the benefits of Jesus on them it's not just a ritual we do it's not this nice religious thing you put the baby in a gown you take pictures and have a special dinner God has ordained for whatever mysterious reason that there are means of grace there are delivery systems of his goodness into our lives one of them is the holy meal when you will come up this isn't just bread and wine this is Christ's body and blood given for you in that you receive all the benefits of Jesus in holy baptism Children, adults, whoever's being baptized, are christened, are Christed. We put Jesus on them. And now the Holy Spirit is working in their lives. Um, Kate and I were attending a parenting seminar years ago. It was at a camp, so it was many, many days. And the speakers are always very good. And by day four or whatever, you really like and can't wait to hear what they have to say. like this guy a lot. And he was telling the story about having a 15-year-old son who was in rebellion. Still in the house, but I have to say typical 15-year-old. And he said he just doesn't want to come to church anymore. It's always a big fight. So we let him stay at home and we go to church without him. And I don't know how I felt about it then. I still don't know how I feel about that now. We can talk about that another time. But this is what he said afterwards. He said, because we trust the Holy Spirit. Because we trust the Holy Spirit. That's hard, isn't it? To trust the Holy Spirit. Let him work in your children's lives. Well, the third point of um, this process that our kids can go through in a time of rebellion is they go through a stage of return. This is what we pray for. This is what we hope for. This is the rejoicing and the celebration. So what do we do in this stage As they come back messed up, dirty, smelling like pigs, spent all your money, really disregarded any respect that they should have for you. What do we do? We love your children. You love your children faithfully. You love them with the same love that God has for us in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. You love them with the same love that God has for you in Jesus Christ. And what does that look like specifically? A guy named Joe Bailey, true story pastor, he's now deceased, but he tells a story Uh, early 1970s his son became a rebel, moved out of the house it was the 70s, became a hippie, grew his hair long grew a long beard, he said he would see him every couple of months he he says he could tell he never showered guy probably didn't shower for months, same clothes all the time filthy, broke his heart but but he knew he had to let him go one day in the middle of the night Joe Bailey gets a call from the Chicago Police Department we have your son at this certain precinct, come get him there was a a sense of rejoicing maybe this will turn around, he goes to the precinct he's not there goes to some of the surrounding police stations, can't find him. realizes it was a hoax. It's 2 o'clock in the morning now. What is he going to do? Well, he knew about some of the areas where his son was sleeping. They call them flop houses in the day. Who knows what, who really owned them or what the whole situation was. Just a bunch of kind of hippie people sleeping on the floor, sleeping on the couches. Who, who knew what went on there? He went to one that he knew of that his son sometimes stayed at and opened the door. The door was never locked. And he's stepping over bodies, sleeping on the floor. And finally finds his son sleeping. He knelt down and gave him a kiss and left. Years later, Joe Bailey tells a story that his son came back, came to Christ, is a believer, is now a pastor. And Joe Bailey says his son said this. He said, Dad, you know what turned me around? That night you came into my room and kissed me. You thought I was asleep, but I wasn't. And I thought, if my dad loves me this much, I want to be with him. That's our story with our Heavenly Father. If He loves me that much, I want to be with Him. We love our children faithfully, no matter what flop house they find themselves in, no matter how long it's been since they've showered. We love them faithfully. Her name is Barbara Brown Taylor. She wrote a book called The Preaching Life. She says, God does not love His children because of what they deserve. He loves them because that's who He is. We love our children not because they deserve it. We love them because we have God's love in us, and that is love. The Father loves us not because you do good stuff or he thinks you're attractive or you get his attention by your charity. He loves you because he is love. That's the essence of love. I love you just because. We love our children faithfully. Well, as they return to us, what's the other thing we can do? We can accept our children unconditionally, with no strings attached. God Listen to me, God is not humiliated with you. He's not embarrassed by you when you're in the flop house, when you haven't showered for however long. Metaphorically, not embarrassed by you. He's not ashamed of you. He accepts you unconditionally. I got permission from our daughter Esther to tell this story. She's 15 now, but I think she was about seven. Same Christian camp where that guy was uh, teaching. Maybe it was a different year. Um, she's a strong-willed, smart kid, and we were having a time, and, and I love that week. A bunch of Christian families together, not perfect, certainly, but you kind of behave like Christian families, and you encourage each other, and it's awesome. And it was the night of the hayride, and she was throwing a fit about something, and it, everyone's around, right? Sixty families maybe mingling, but they see this kid going kind of berserk, and he <laughs> tried to control her. And, uh, you know, I'm embarrassed and humiliated. So finally I got her and I put up on the Hayride thing and and she knew she had me. She knew everybody was watching. And she screams, I hate God. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) No, I'm a pastoral assistant. I'm on staff at a church. This can't be. She didn't really hate God, but she knew that was the one that was going to get me. I was humiliated. When we scream out, I hate God, either by verbally or our actions. He doesn't care. I mean, he cares, but he's not humiliated. He's not ashamed. Not embarrassed. When our kids, with their words or actions, scream, I hate God, we accept them unconditionally. If there's humiliation, you get over it, and you love them, and you put a ring on their finger and a royal robe around them, and you get them some sandals, and you throw a party because they were lost and And now they're found. And let's not forget the story of another son in the Bible, the only begotten Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the God man Jesus Christ, who was not rebellious, but actually perfectly obedient, even unto death on a cross. And because of his death, unconditionally he bought you back from sin and darkness. Forgiveness with no strings attached. The father didn't run out to the son and say, let's get you a haircut and a bath. He kissed him and hugged him and got him clothing and threw a party. That's God's great love for us. That's the love that we have in us and the love that we can offer our children upon their return. So finally, the thing that we can do when our children return is to forgive them completely. Don't hold things over their head. Remember when you said that to me? Remember when you ran away? Remember when you broke my heart? We forgive as we have been forgiven. In a couple of weeks, we'll start a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. We'll pray it here together in just a couple of minutes. There's a part that says, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, forgive me the way I'm forgiving others. If I'm only forgiving them partially, I don't want partial forgiveness from you. So it's a thing, right? God forgives me completely. I, complete, uh, I forgive others completely. What a great forgiveness that is. And, and what a debt that God has paid for us. I heard an illustration. I hope I'll get it out correctly because it meant so much to me. Um, what God paid for us to buy us back is not something that needs to be overlooked. Suppose you came to my house and we were going to meet and I wasn't home for whatever reason so you're sitting on my front porch or whatever and a guy comes to collect a debt and you pay that debt for me. And you tell me about it the next day. There was a guy at your house and you weren't home and he came to collect the debt and I paid it for you. What's my reaction? Depends on the amount of the debt. If it was postage due and the guy paid $3.25, well, thanks, I pat him on the back and say, I owe you one. If it was the IRS and they were coming to put me in jail because I owed $100,000 and the guy paid it, I go, wow, thank you. If it was a mob hitman, I'd have a lot to explain. If it was a mob hitman coming to kill me because I owed him $2 million and you paid that and saved my life, I bow at your feet and pledge my undying dedication to you for my life. That's the debt that God paid for us to buy us back from sin, to forgive us as you have been forgiven. Can you forgive your children for rebellion, for, for running away? So we wrap up here. If you are a prodigal child, literally, if you're watching online or if you're here this morning, click. Um, your parents want you back. I don't know what's going on. I, how would I know? Come back in humility. Parents, take them back, hug them, accept them, forgive them, throw a party, set them straight, set guidelines, all that stuff that you guys know about. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online this morning and you're away from God, you ran away. He disappointed you. It didn't work out. I don't think what the Bible said was true because I tried it. It's not true, so I ran away. But now you find yourself with the pigs. And you're looking back and going, I, I think I want back in. Can you get back in? Yeah. Come in Humility. Come in brokenness, pray your prayer this afternoon, just saying, God, that guy in the front of the church said I could come back to you and I need you. I'm busted. I'm I'm a wreck. God loves wrecks. Jesus died to turn you from a wreck into a beauty. Come back to him today. Some next steps for you to think about. These are at the bottom of your sermon outline, maybe up on the screen, good enough. If you have a rebellious teen or adult child, don't do this alone, man. Get help, get encouragement. Talk to some parents who've had children who've gone rebellious and, and see how they've handled it. Surround yourself with supportive Christian people. Um, secondly, um, use our care ministry here at Royal Redeemer. Man, what, a, what an awesome care ministry we have here. Specifically, I'm thinking of Stephen Ministers. They're just people who love you. They're not going to give you a lot of advice on how to get your kid back. They're going to call you and talk to you and pray with you and love you, with, love you and cry with you and support you that way. Uh, finally, we talked about a little bit earlier, have your kid baptized. Are your children baptized? Again, it's not this religious thing we do, like it's a ceremony. I don't don't even know what's happening. The guy goes up there in water. We're putting Jesus on people by the authority of God's word through the water and the word. That's the way God works. Have them baptized. Put the Holy Spirit on them. Let's come together and pray. Lord, your goodness is evident. Uh, We don't deserve any of this. But you take flop house hippies who haven't showered or changed their clothes and you turn them into royalty. You did that for me, you did that for everybody here, you did that for everybody uh, watching. It's just a matter of of whether we'll um, walk into the house with you or continue to be in rebellion, I don't know. But thank you for this teaching. I know, kind of specific today, talking about parents and children, but again, applicable applicable to all relationships, broken relationships, uh, maybe our future. um, So thank you. We love you. Holy Spirit, come. Bless the rest of our service, this holy time of communion, this mystery this bread and wine, this body and blood given for us. We love you and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Together we all say, amen.